Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Hello and welcome to Parlor to Plate, a weekly podcast from EverAg Insights dedicated to offering listeners enlightening discussion and actionable intelligence about dairy and grain markets. I'm your host, Phil Plord. If you've not heard this podcast before, well, join the club. It's relatively new to the EverAg Insights lineup. This is actually episode number six, and we're excited to have you along. If you like what you hear, please like us, subscribe, and tell a friend or two. All right, first things first, let's timestamp this episode. It's about 1 p.m. Central Time on Wednesday, March 15th. CME spot block trader cheese today closed at around 196. That's up 9% or 16 cents from last week. Barrels are at $1.89, up 19 cents from a week ago. Looking at class three milk, the six month strip is at 18.73, up 53 cents on the week. Butter, $2.38, up a nickel. Non-fat dry milk, just up a penny at $1.18 per pound. The class four six month strip is at 18.33, actually down 32 cents from this time a week ago. Turning to the grain and feed space, corn, 6.25 a bushel, down nine cents from a week ago. Beans are at 14.91, down 36 cents. And soybean meal, $480 a ton, down $19. Let's turn to our all-star panel. Today, we're fortunate to have Zach Bowers, a producer risk management specialist, John Spainhauer, a veteran of Everag's commercial team, and Britt O'Connell, one of our grain marketing advisors. As is the case every week, we'll start with what's the buzz. Let's talk about what's making the most noise in the areas we cover. Britt, let's start with you today. Grain markets uh, down sharply depending on the day, depending on the market. What's going on? What's the buzz in your space? Lots of volatility in the grain space. Two big things that have really been controlling the headlines this week. The first is somewhat of a bullish storyline. The uh, USDA has announced in the last two days 1.2 million metric tons of export business to China. Certainly welcomed. The other headline that's really been grabbing the markets is the Black Sea Grain Initiative and whether or not that grain deal will be renewed for 60 or 120 days. And it does appear that both Russia and Ukraine would like to reach an agreement. It's just a matter of how long the current agreement is renewed for. And something else that popped up on the radar yesterday, uh, the CFTC has been running a little bit behind on its commitment of trade reports. And uh, yesterday they released data for the end of February and Shazam, we saw a whole bunch of corn long positions gone from the ledger. Talk about that for a second, if you could. We saw the largest liquidation of fund activity in the last couple of weeks. The thing that's very interesting about that, as you point out, is that the CFTC has not been able to regularly update the market with its reports given a security breach. Although I would call that somewhat welcome news to the grain market because there was a general bias out there that they were still carrying a relatively long position. So with more fun money on the sidelines, potential that they could jump back into the long side of this corn market. Yeah. So if you want to be bullish corn, you're like the selling is almost done from this crowd, right? That's right. All right, Zach, what about you? What's the buzz in dairy producer circles this week? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing people are talking about is just milk production and, and the weather across the U.S. Um, for most of the U.S., this winter has been extremely mild. The cows are loving it and the milk has been flowing, as we've seen in the recent milk production reports. But where the questions have been coming up is what's going on in California with heavy rains, heavy snow, and now the snow starting to melt. 
We're seeing, you know, videos of flooding all over the place and how that's affecting milk production in California. From the reports we've seen and the people we've talked to, what once, you know, 20 years ago would have been a major issue with uh, all the open lots out there now with freestalls being mostly put in, it sounds like there hasn't been really much of a hiccup at all. Cows are still producing well. Milk trucks are getting through. So they're a little touch and go now. If they continue to get rain and continue to see snowpack melting, there could be some issues that arise. But for right now, it looks like they're doing all right. Yeah, these snowfall totals are, I mean, up in the, in the mountains are just, I mean, they're awesome numbers, yeah. right? 14 feet. I mean, they're sort of unthinkable numbers. From what I understand, looking at the internal chatter today and talking to a few clients, the Pixley-Tipton area seems to be ground zero for any problems that we're seeing, right? That's correct. Yep. All right, John Spainhauer, we've seen the cheese market act erratically over the past week or so. I don't know if that's the biggest buzz in your space. What's the biggest buzz in your neighborhood? Well, I think there's two things. Part of it is that cheese move, Phil. The block price is back up in the high 190s. But if we look at that from you know the perspective of the last two to three months. Yes, we've rallied from our low last week, but we're still just moving back to the top of the range that we've been in in the block market. Seems like it's a pretty well-contracted market. There hasn't been a lot of free-to-sell product out there. We've definitely seen a lot of you know milk that's free to sell underneath the marketplace, especially here in the Midwest. We've seen some 10 underclass prints. You would expect that to result in more cheese production if somebody has the capacity to do so. What we've learned is that as of right now, there's a little bit more milk in the Midwest, specifically coming in from that South Dakota side, but there are some capacity issues that have been plaguing the Midwest cheesemakers from a labor standpoint or a a plant standpoint, and it's just been disruptive, and it's made it tough to make that extra cheese with that milk that's looking for a home. As a result, one of the things that we've seen happen is, again, I mentioned the blocks went back up to the top of the range, but the barrels have spent the better part of the first quarter at the very bottom of the range, getting down into the mid-150s there for quite some time. So that block barrel spread just over two weeks ago was almost 40 cents, and in the last two weeks has moved considerably. Now, Phil, I believe it's at about eight cents as of today. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it had been as small as a penny at one point in time last week. So we've seen that spread move, you know, all the way out to 40 cents and then move back to almost flat within the course of less than a week to a week and a half. It's kind of crazy, you know, well, it's, it's not crazy. It's just sort of a low prices, cure low prices sort of thing, right? All of a sudden barrels are under 160. They're super cheap. We hear some export stuff, you know, through the grapevine. Uh, we see some production issues maybe straightened out in one place. Barrel demand reignites and all of a sudden, oh, where'd all the barrels go, right? I mean, they were here, now they're not, and kind of have to work through it, right? Absolutely. And the, there are consequences to a block barrel spread staying or moving out to 40 cents and staying wide for as long as it has. And it's a fresh cheddar market, John, right? Four to 30 days old. So you can run out of fresh cheddar, even if you have lots of other stuff sitting around. That is correct. Let's move to the center of the plate. You know, we mentioned very specific things about the corn market and the milk production situation and blocks and barrels and all that stuff. But there's been sort of an, another big issue going on that's been impacting the commodity space generally. We're down a couple banks this week from where we were a week ago, right? We lost uh, Silicon Valley Bank, uh, another medium-sized bank folded. Credit Suisse has issues driving the headlines today. And so we've seen a lot of noise in the banking sector and maybe some risk-off trade in the process. 
So it's, it's always hard to draw straight lines between some of these events and our very specific markets. But I'm wondering, Zach and John, what are you hearing? How do you think that all these questions about bank solvency and financial contagion, how does that play into our space, if at all? Well, I, I'm, I'm more willing to take the if at all side of that standpoint. Uh, but one can't deny that there are people in our market that are from the outside. They may have a risk on position in the dairy space, and they also may have on a risk on position in other spaces like the energy markets or the financial markets. So when we get these big disruptions in the broader markets, sometimes it does trickle through. And sometimes it also makes it, it gives the appearance that if there is a, a meltdown happening in the equities, that that might have some contagion over into the broader economy. And that might end up being bad for commodities in general or be deflationary. I'm not so sure that I'm there, but you can definitely see yesterday morning when things were at its worst, there was a lot of selling taking place on Monday and Tuesdays taking place in the morning as the news was kind of negative related to the financial industry, at least here in the class three market. See, crude oil, for example, down $6 today, Britt. I mean, does that uh, does that weigh on the grain market space at all? I think it has weighed on the grain market in particular today, despite the kind of few good stories that we've had come to the corn market. We still really struggled to move higher today. And so I think it's weighing on the corn market, the soybean market, certainly. But I also think that in times like this, where there's a general risk-off mode, there can be a tendency to gravitate back towards physical, tangible items. And sometimes we actually see corn and soybeans and some of these other commodities be the beneficiary. So it can cut both directions. And so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out with the funds just moving out of that long corn position and into something much lighter. To what degree, we don't officially know. Yeah, and there's so many different permutations, right? Is this, you know, bullish the U.S. dollar? Is that bearish commodities? Bearish the U.S. dollar, bullish commodities? Or how do all the trade flows go? John and Zach, from a psychology perspective, do you think that, you know, uncertainty impacts decision-making on the farm, Zach, with our clients at all? Yeah, I, I think you're definitely seeing some uncertainty, some more of, I, I need to start managing some risk here. And I think the biggest question, and I'll throw it back at you, Phil, if you have any insight on it, is really, you know, just what what's going to happen with interest rates here? What's the Fed going to do now? You know, most dairies are running on an operating line or a feed line that's at a variable rate, and cost of money is not cheap right now. So when, when it comes down to that, I think a lot of people are all eyes on the Fed and what's going to happen there. Um, are they going to pause rates? Are they going to continue to increase? Or are they going to cut? I, I'm not thinking they're cutting. I don't think they're going to pause either. I think they still have some work to do. We saw that in the inflation number, but I'd love to hear your perspective on it, Phil. Oh, I personally think the cut, I mean, anything about a cut is total fantasy land. I mean, you know, we still have inflation running pretty hot at 6%. We're a long way from the 2% goal. I guess, I don't know, the consensus going into this week seemed to be half a percent was the next move. And maybe all this banking stuff has backed things down to a quarter percent. Uh, but I think the Fed still has a lot of work to do. And again, some of that's baked into the marketplace already, but I am surprised at I don't know. People don't want to believe Jerome Powell. I mean, he comes out and he says, we're going to raise rates and get inflation under control. And all he's done is raise rates and try to get inflation under control. And yet we got to go through these two week periods of not believing him. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, wait a second, the Fed's going to keep raising rates. And, and that I think, right, right, right. I mean, in the grain space, that that's created noise there, too, hasn't it? Absolutely. It's expensive to hold grain. 
And that's something that's in the forefront of a lot of producers' minds. And so they've been more willing to start letting a lot of this old crop corn go with pretty strong basis values still across the country, even despite this pullback that we've seen in futures. So it'll be interesting to me as we look at the farmer being the longest they've ever been, if you will, on new crop sales. They have been very reluctant to sell new crop corn. Should we have some sort of recovery effort uh, underway in prices on new crop in particular, how they'll treat that given the fact that interest is not cheap? Will they be more ready to sell more bushels at harvest or will they be willing to tuck some of those away in the bin and hope for a bigger carry in the market? If I were to bring that point home one more time, I would just say if there is an effect taking, you know, Brit's commentary about the grain markets and parlaying them back over into the dairy side, there certainly is that psychological effect in our marketplace that can say the lower grains go or the softer grains are there, you know, is there a, a knockout effect on milk production? And if a big crux of the argument for higher milk prices in July to Deese would be lower milk production because of higher grain prices, as those grain prices pull back, it kind of softens that argument a little bit. Look at the puzzle we get to put together every day. And, you know, we try to help our clients through these times. So, Zach, what are you doing to help clients this week or the past couple of weeks from where you sit? Yeah, I mean, this week this week has been beautiful, right? As In the fact that, you know, mentioned earlier, we've seen such a nice rally in, in especially class three. You know, one, you've got today is the last day for quarter two DRP. So we really want to look at taking advantage of this, you know, almost a dollar move in Q2 class three, um, and then really start to layering into the back half where, you know, prices, the floors might not be exactly where we want them, but when we're seeing some of these input costs down, you know, diesel down, grains down, uh, bean meal down so hard, it's starting to be somewhat of an attractive break-even number for some of these guys, and we really want to start taking advantage of that. John, how are you helping clients from where you sit? Well, I'd say one of the things that we talked about earlier was that block barrel spread. And I would just remind people that it has a cheese manufacturer. It can have a real effect on your profit margin. And we'd be happy to talk to you about that. But I guess I would just look at it to say there are people that are actively managing the spread in both directions. And so there are tools that are out there to manage that. So we're we're really digging in with people. And this this week was a prime example of how a 40 cent spread can disappear in a heartbeat. Britt, are you uh, coaxing bushels out of the bin? What are you doing to help clients these days? For any of our buyers of feed grain products, this pullback in corn in particular has been an awesome opportunity to get some coverage on. So we've been encouraging those guys to take some ownership here. And for guys who are sellers of corn, naturally, we're not necessarily pushing them to sell into a 70 cent sell off. But the one thing I'd say we're doing is their minds are going to be soon shifting towards field work. So get your targets in place with your buyers on, on the exchange, wherever it is that you place your offers. That way, should this market rally, you're positioned to get some sales on the books and take advantage of it. All right, guys, that's about it for today's show. Thanks to our panelists, Zach, John, and Britt. Thanks, as always, to Paige Driscoll, our master media person, for making us all sound good. And thanks to you, our listeners. Once again, if you like the show, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to learn more about how we help people manage risk, contact us at insights at ever.ag.